It's fantastic to have you all here. Welcome to Liberty After Dark, the show where I sit up here and I talk about liberty all day. I got my Anarchy Ball shirt going. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good show. But we are going to talk about some kind of nitty gritty things. We're going to be talking about a little bit of uh, what's going on in Iran because I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about this situation that is going to be pertinent to Ancapistan in the future if it ever you know comes to be. So let's not beat around the bush and let's talk about what's going on in Iran right now. So back in 2015, Barack Obama issued the nuclear deal with Iran, right? Which Republicans hated, Democrats lauded as the only way to prevent nuclear war with Iran. So what did this deal do? The deal, in essence, allowed Iran to produce LEU, which is low enriched uranium, um, in, in their facilities for use in nuclear reactors while minimizing their ability to utilize them in nuclear weapons. And the way that they minimized that ability to use them in nuclear weapons was with a changing in facilities and in a monitoring of their nuclear enrichment facilities. So they were essentially trying to give them the bet. We were trying to have our cake and eat it too, basically. Uh, again, Republicans thought that the deal was awful because it was going to allow uh, it was going to allow Iran to stockpile low enriched uranium LEUs, which allows them to then move forward towards building a bomb using uranium. And the again, the Democrats thought that this was a good way of mitigating any conflict between the two of them. So that's old stuff, right? So now we get this man called Donnie T. He walks in the door. Right, old, old Donald Trumpet, and he says, "Nah, we ain't doing that." And mind you, this was last year that we left the nuclear deal. This was like over—I think this was like nine months now, eight months now, something like that. And he—he he, we just yeeted ourselves out of the nuclear deal with Iran. And initially, there weren't any changes because Iran didn't really change anything. They assumed that somebody would get together and we'd rehash out and they'd possibly get a better deal because they'd be like, oh, we're not going to agree to the same deal. But eventually there'd be another. Well, there was no deal. And then there was sanctions put on because they were like, oh, Russia, or Iran hasn't stopped making uh, LEUs. I guess we're going to put sanctions on them. And then they started increasing their production of low enriched uranium up until the point to where we are now which is where sanctions have been increased twice. They're about to be increased a third time. R Iran has continued to step up their low enriched uranium uh, production facilities, and they aren't necessarily showing any proof of using them in reactors. Not to suggest that they're 100% using them in nuclear bombs, but they aren't 100% using them in nuclear reactors either. So the... I mean, there's also, they don't have enough nuclear reactors to use all of them, but they want the fissile material to be able to use this stuff, right? So here we are in modern day. We had the tanker incident. We had an Iranian tanker, which was picked up in UK waters. And I don't know if it ever got out of there, honestly. I never followed up on that story. Um, we had just yesterday... A UK tanker was approached by armed boats in the strait, and so they're assumed to be Iranian. Again, I don't know how exactly they identified these people, but apparently six armed boats attempt to commandeer a vessel until 
the military escort showed up and then they said, nope, we're getting out of here. Um, they are stepping up uranium production again. And uh, Donald Trump has announced that he wants to do an even harder round of sanctions on Iran. So we're death gripping Iran, who's already said that they're not going to, they're not going to, uh, they're not interested in diplomacy is what I'm trying to say. They're not going to talk. Iran is not interested in diplomacy anymore. They get screwed every time they go into a treaty, which is fair. And they're done, basically. And the U.S. says, you have no option other than diplomacy because we're going to crush you. And Iran is essentially trying to call our own bluff is basically what this keeps coming down to. So now we're in the present day, right? We are seeing military... Leaders in the U.S. talk about trying to build a coalition to for that entire oil channel to protect it and to cover it so that there's a free access of travel and they don't have to worry about Iranian attacks. Um, we'll see if that ever becomes a thing. I know EU is very, they're very lenient on Iran right now because they want to save some kind of face with them, but... It is also important to realize that as of two days ago, I, the EU also put their own economic sanctions on Iran. So even they have deemed Iran's stockpiling of fissile nuclear material to be unacceptable. So that's where we are today. That's the whole recap of the situation. So Brandon here says, glad you're covering this. It's been uh, getting buried by headlines. Yeah, I just, you know, it's it was something that really hit me whenever... People started really getting butthurt about this whole the Ariel being casted by an African-American woman. And I just, you know, I couldn't, I just don't, I, when, when stuff like this with Iran is going on, I couldn't give two craps about the whole Ariel thing. So I wanted to do a lot of talking about this on this episode because I think there's a lot of interesting things that go into this. Now that we have set up the whole situation, now that we have all the pieces on the table, you know, everybody's hands have been shown this is where we are. There are a lot of interesting implications here. And when it, it, things are really heating up. Like, I know that's, it, it makes for a good news story when you say, like, oh, war is on the horizon. But, like, things are really heating up with Iran. This is not the kind of stuff that you want to play with if you're an anti-war person. You know, Trump has tried to give off this vibe of being, like, a pseudo-pacifist, sort of. Not a pacifist, sorry. Like, a pseudo he doesn't want to be in war, basically, a non-committal person. Uh, and so he's been trying really hard to give off that that vibe unsuccessfully, in my personal opinion. But if he allows this to continue with Iran, then he's going to plunge us into something with Iran. Whether it's just a skirmish that winds up getting covered by just the strongest sanctions you've ever seen a poor country go through or whether it's just a full-blown invasion of Iran, which has so many logistical nightmares involved with it that we might as well just, I mean, that uh, it'd be a nightmare. On top of the fact that we'd be getting into another three decades long Middle Eastern conflict that we're just barely starting to pull ourselves out of today, just barely. And uh, yeah, so, why does Iran want nuclear weapons? Well, that's it's as simple as being a geopolitical power. Iran has for a long, long time, since the 1970s, 
wanted to be officially recognized on a geopolitical stage. And that makes sense. If you were a country, if you were the leader of a country and you were not in the most powerful country on planet earth, you would want people to take you seriously because you are millions, potentially people on in your country and you want international representation and a seat at the table when it comes to things like international treatises and trade deals, stuff like that, international law. These are things that affect your country, whether or not you have a say in them. So when Iran says, I want nuclear weapons, what they're really saying is, I want a seat at the table. Because no one takes Iran seriously right now, for good reason. They're in ec constant economic turmoil, not really, I mean, pretty much by our, our fault, honestly. But they're in constant economic turmoil. They have they flip-flop leaders. They are super hyper-regressive cultures with showing signs of being modernized um probably mostly by their neighbors influencing them but you know still very radicalized and conservative society based, compared to a lot of other things in the region and they want nuclear weapons or at least nuclear reactors and the capacity to utilize LEUs so that they can be a geopolitical power on the world stage, specifically to counter Saudi Arabia's influence more than anything. You know, it, it's important to have like representation on an international stage, but what's really important is that they have a counter to Saudi Arabia's Shia influence or Sunni, whichever one they are. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I don't get caught up in that particular squabble very much, even though it is very important because they represent two sides of a very not happy with each other coin. Um, so they want to, they want to counterbalance their international influence. They want to be, they want to be the Syria to Russia, basically, even though Russia already pretty much is that with Iran, they want to be that even more. They want to be that back that, that, Middle Eastern power backed by a geopolitical power so that they can be the symbol of what the Middle East needs to be. Because right now that's essentially what's happening in Saudi Arabia is that it's being packed by all of these Western coalitions and nations. And even though a lot of the stuff it does is kind of out there and it's being propped up as, as like a, almost a pseudo model middle eastern nation because by propping it up we're promoting what it does and its activities and we're saying this is acceptable this is what you need if you want to get guns and you want to get money and you want us to buy your oil and so yeah you know that's a whole nother side of this coin how we've kind of almost shot ourselves in the foot by promoting bad behavior but now for the really important part why Iran probably should be allowed to have nuclear weapons and I know this is a crazy I crazy topic right and I know people are like, whoa, what, what did he just say? Oh my God. So the most important thing for me, right, is that the fewest possible people get hurt. Okay. So whenever it comes down to that, when I see something like, how do we stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons? Okay. We, we, we do sanctions so that they can't produce uranium or your enriched uranium, low enriched uranium. And then we 
hopefully they give up and then they sign on to some deal, which is basically at this point, if we win whatever struggles going on, they're basically not going to be able to have any nuclear material or some awful deal for them like that. Or they don't cave. And we wind up getting into a conflict with Iran, whether it's proxy or whether it's on the ground. And then we wind up a bunch of people dying and infrastructure's ruined and Tehran is basically bombed into nothingness because it turns into a guerrilla campaign. Oh God, I feel like we've seen this all before somewhere. Um, and it turns out like, oh, they never built a bomb to begin with because they don't have the technology to weaponize low enriched uranium or even high enriched uranium. So we go through all of that. And then uh, we have another, I mean, not that they don't already hate us, but the people of Iran, not just the Ayatollah Khomeini or, or the government in Tehran, like the people of Iran hate us even more than they do now. And that's the important part of fighting in the Middle East is that you have to win the hearts and minds of the people. And that's really hard to do. There's not a lot of the Middle East that likes us. Pretty much the only people who like us are the Kurds. And that's because without us, they probably wouldn't exist on planet Earth anymore. So... That's just some Middle Eastern historical observation going on there. But there is a certain grain of truth to the mutually assured destruction policy. And I'm not saying that a country with two or three nukes is really capable of, of fully use, implementing a, a mad doctrine. But what I am saying is that I think Donald Trump would be a hell of a lot more hesitant start throwing tomahawk missiles at iran if they did have a nuke on them hence why we haven't started throwing tomahawk missiles at north korea you know if, if this was like syria and he could just blow up their airfield and say like we're not even at war with you but we're gonna blow your crap up because you're doing dumb stuff we would have done the same thing with north korea we would have done the same thing with iran we would have done the same thing with all these places now iran is still on the table for that it's still on the cards we had that airstrike that was canceled, I think was this a week ago now. But what we need to understand is that there is no such thing as a conflict with Iran where we really win. You know, there's there's no way that we wind up out of this and shake hands and say like, yes, this was good. Because there are two things that are true about Iran. One, they don't need nuclear weapons. That's true. They're overall unstable. But two, they need nuclear power. Okay. They are not in an economic, economically stable enough place to rely on petroleum and coal and things like this to power their country. And they don't want to buy electricity from other places. You want to be as energy stable as a country as possible, right? So this is all just part of their way of, again, enforcing their role as a leader on this geopolitical stage. You can't be a leader and also be dependent on massive energy imports unless you're the United States and it's specifically oil. We produce almost all of our own electricity. That is an important part of having a sovereign nation. Uh, didn't the Middle East like, uh, used to like the United States before we started meddling over there? It's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject really because Iran has, since its formation, has seen Western influence, whether it's Europe or the U.S., into the Middle East. Because you got to remember, this is this, especially how it used to be, like in the 80s and the 90s. Tehran and the Middle East, or in, in as Iran, was like hyper conservative culture. Like what we imagine, like 
the Saudi Arabia was up until that point because they both pretty much were. But Iran was very vocal about being very anti-U.S. And they mostly, mostly not because of anything we had done in the region to that point, even though we did have involvement in Afghanistan and a little bit in some other places during the whole Cold War thing. What they really didn't like about us is the fact that we backed Saudi Arabia because we wanted a foothold outside of Israel in the Middle East that we could use to counter anything that happened, whether it was Iraq, Syria, whether it was, let's say, Israel. We needed a staging point for a conflict in Israel, whether it was Iran, whatever it may be. And so we picked Saudi Arabia as a centralized power with a large oil supply that was going to exist in the next 20 to 30 years that we could prop up and use as our central point of defense in the region. And it wound up working strategically very well for us. If you look at things like the Gulf War and the Iraq War, be having chosen Saudi Arabia as that ally, kind of christening them with this power, we were able to directly work with them in a lot of these cases, like in the Gulf War, like in Iraq in 2003, we were able to use Saudi Arabia's staging points and that gave us access to places like the UAE and, you know, we have all those alliances with Saudi Arabia involved in that as well. Now, granted, you know, places like, you know, Kuwait and Yemen and all those guys may not be necessarily the biggest fans of us because of it and Iran hates our guts because of it, but there are worse things on planet Earth, I suppose. I hope that pretty much answers your question. It is nuanced. It's not like a, there's no like line where it was like the Middle East loved us or hated us and then they loved us. I think most of them were indifferent because again, we're talking about countries and societies that aren't necessarily on the same playing field a couple of decades ago as they are even now, especially now, but you know, especially back then, um, you know, it wasn't until after U.S. occupation in Afghanistan that most of the population had access to Internet. So, I mean, you know, that's th these are the kind of places that we're talking about. And I'm not necessarily trying to shit on them that hard, but it, it's true. You know, I mean, this is a fact. So <laughs> we're not exactly talking about invading like Italy or something. You know, it's a bit different than that. Um, it's a very regressive very some of these areas were like basically going through their industrial revolution in the 90s you know i mean they were that untouched and there's a whole lot of historical context to why that happened to begin with but another really simple generalization is that it's difficult to build factories in a desert but we figured it out so so back to what i was rambling on about before we start getting into the discussion part of this is that uh, if it was up to me, there wouldn't be any nuclear weapons to begin with. They'd all just disappear. Cool. Now, I think that there are, there are diplomatic and conflict-based things there that I'm not necessarily accounting for that could make this statement a bit more naive and, and, and warm and fuzzy than it really should be. But I, I don't I don't like the idea of the indiscriminate murder of millions of people, which is what nuclear weapons are. Like you can't just drop a nuclear bomb on Fred for nap violation, blow up Fred and not violate the nap of 
potentially millions of other people, if not just a few thousands, depending on how small your nuclear weapon is. And so, you know, I'm not a big fan of nukes. I don't think Iran should have nukes, but I think considering how we have no evidence that they've built one up to this point, they say they have no evidence and they're just stockpiling low enriched uranium fissile material, which is not the same as weapons grade uranium. It still has to go through a higher level enrichment process. Um, because it's not as simple as building nuclear fuel for a nuclear reactor and then pulling that out and sticking it in a bomb. There is a further enrichment process that has to go on. And, you know, I don't, I, I think they should be able to build their freaking nuclear reactors that they want to build. They should be able to supply power. And then if there's any sort of evidence that they start building nuclear weapons, we have to address it as that. But we can't start making up rules that because we left a nuclear trade deal with them or not a trade deal but a nuclear arms deal with them that they're still somehow beholden to that we haven't made any other deal we have set no other terms with iran and this is a problem okay you can't go up to a middle eastern country say like look i know we had this deal i didn't necessarily make this deal okay but we're going to leave it and then I'm going to get really freaking mad when you don't, when you violate a treaty that doesn't, that I'm not even a part of anymore. Like that's, that's not how this works. Like if I break so let's say, let's say David here, me and David make a contract and I say, David, you're only allowed to keep two gallons of milk on hand at all times. Otherwise I will come over there and I will beat you up. Right. And then I say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, I'm just going to avoid this agreement. This agreement's stupid, right? Like, I don't want to be a part of this horrible deal, absolutely terrible deal. And I just, you know, vo get it officially voided in the contracts null and void. And then I come over and I see you have three gallons of milk and I kick your ass. Like, is what, you know, what is going on here? What is, what is this? <laughs> you think it would save us a lot of money to completely pull out and end the wars? Yes, but I do think that there is a geopolitical consequence to that that is unfortunately something we can't necessarily avoid at that point. Now, I think we can do a big, big fucking scale back, but if your question is, can we leave tomorrow? I don't, I don't honestly think that's a, I don't think it's a wise solution. I think it's physically possible. And yes, it would save us a lot of money, but I don't know if it's wise. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. I don't want to say that. I want it. I want to say to you, yes, and everything will be sunshine and rainbows. But I honestly don't know if that's the case. So, um, and David here said I ran pre '80s somewhat, but that's uh, that was due to our meddling started back in the '50s. Yeah, we've been in the Middle East for a hot minute. Um, I mean, we, you know, I don't, I don't have to get into all this stuff about us basically training up al-Qaeda for all intents and purposes and propping up people like Osama bin Laden whenever the Soviet Union was invading Afghanistan, but, you know, whatever. It's, it's all the CIA. It didn't officially happen, but it happened, so. Um, and, and that's pretty much, but, but coming back to what I was saying about Iran, that's pretty much the position I view this entire conflict from, is that if we were still in that nuclear deal 
at that point, technically speaking, it's contract law. And, you know, despite the fact that we are definitely a course of entity, you know, we can, we can look past some of these things, okay? Some of these things, we just gotta, we can kind of look past a little bit. But, you know, contract law supersedes most things when it comes to the tiers of existing law, right? NAP is like your baseline law, but there are a lot of things that supersede that, like contract law is one of them. I wouldn't say a lot. There are a few things that supersede that. So as far as contract law is concerned, if we had kept in this nuclear trade deal and Iran went past their allowable limit of low enriched uranium supply, then we could just say, hey, you violated this trade or this uh, this deal that we have, you need to quit it, here's your sanction. And then they're like, oh no, we have a sanction. You guys are big dumb dummy heads. We'd at least have a moral position saying that like they were in this agreement. But like the milk analogy, we left the agreement and we're still trying to beat the shit out of them for not following the agreement. So it's like, <laughs> I, I, get, I get the argument that Iran may not be able to be trusted with a nuclear weapon. I don't really care about that argument, right? That's, that's not really even relevant to me at this point. There are plenty of people in this country who probably can't be trusted with a nuclear weapon that have them. Look at Pakistan. You think I trust Pakistan with a nuclear weapon? No. India and Pakistan are going to nuke each other someday. Mark, mark my freaking words. They hate each other so much, it's just a matter of time. And I understand that this is particularly a bit negative Nancy of me as far as the show is concerned and I like to be really optimistic about these things but I can't I'm not an Iran sympathizer but I'm not a US supporter of pulling out of agreements and then using those same agreements as a way to spark conflict in a region like either we didn't care about the deal and the deal sucked and we wanted a new deal and the terms of the deal were dead and now we're just starting from square one or we cared about the terms of the deal, left it because we're fucking stupid, and then now we want back in it because, oh crap, we really screwed up, but now we can't because we diplomatically fucked ourselves as far as Iran is concerned. Sorry, I'm using my French today. Um, because this is, I mean, this is what this all comes down to. Everything that I have been saying up to this point is just context for a situation that really honestly could have been avoided. Like... 100%. I know that the Iran trade deal was not amazing. We did not get the most amazing deal as far as making sure that there's zero chance that Iran gets nuclear weapons. I get that. I understand. Some people are not happy with that as far as defense of the nation is concerned. But guys, like it doesn't, it really, like at this point, we are so far past the ability to get into any sort of diplomatic situation that would give us a result anywhere close to that, that I don't think it matters anymore. Like hindsight's twenty twenty, I get it. But leaving this deal was a mistake. So that's, I think that's like, you could say the deal is a mistake and say that leaving the deal was a mistake because the position that we put ourselves now is an, is a diplomatic dead end. And that's not, that's not copacetic. That is not okay. Um, because once these diplomatic channels start getting used up and we start spending all of our points, like it's some kind of freaking video game or something, and we got to use our clout to try to get people to talk. And we got Netanyahu over here talking about how he's going to use those brand new F-35s in Israel to blow crap up. I just, yeah, you just can't, 
we are using up our diplomatic channels, and that is an issue. Um, David said understatement. Sorry, it's about 30 seconds of delay, so I, I'm not sure specifically what you're referring to. But yeah, I think probably some of what I said was an understatement. Um, you know, I, I just, that's, that's, that's what all this comes down to. We signed it to a, a deal that was not up to the standards that we wanted it really to be to begin with. Apparently, as a country, I mean, I guess because this we're in this position now. But so we signed onto the deal. Second, we left the deal. Third, we're getting mad that the, treat, the the parts of the deal that we liked, I guess, are being violated. And that's not how contract law works. That is not how contract law works. You don't get to do that. At that point, the second that we leave that treaty, then it's it's all up to Iran at that point. They can do whatever the heck they want, pretty much. They're not a part of any sort of international nuclear coalition or anything like that. As far as I'm concerned, they can start building nuclear weapons on the Antarctic front. So, and I get it. That's an unpopular opinion. Most people want to hear me say, oh, Iran's wrong and these are the reasons why. Sorry, guys. We're the bad guys here. <laughs> Yes, Tehran and Iran are a bunch of regressive, conservative jerks who are not good people, and they are just some very, they do some very diabolical things. The Mujahideen has put into place a power structure that is untenable and will collapse and will cause a lot of suffering for their nation. Doesn't change the fact that in this situation, we are wrong, and we made a mistake, honestly. I don't know if you guys have any questions on this. I am i can't exactly call myself an expert on Middle Eastern affairs, but uh, I won't say that I don't know anything about them either. I'm at least very well read and researched on the topic. So it's definitely something to, if you guys want to talk about it, any questions, comments, concerns, or what do you guys think? You think I'm totally off my rocker? Like, do you think, I mean, you think I have a point, you know? I'm not trying to like goad my audience into supporting me. I genuinely want to know like what's your opinion on this topic because I think it's an important one. Uh, David's drunk. Yeah, it looks like some of the comments are making it to the actual stream feed, so I'm trying to keep the the stream over here so that I can read them as well. I just think there's a lot to this topic that gets easily glazed over because we've become too accustomed to being the good guys in these Middle Eastern conflicts when we pretty much never are, honestly. Like, were we the good guys in Afghanistan? Mm, were we the good guys in the Persian Gulf? Maybe. That's pretty much the only one that you could say, like, oh, man, they were being invaded, Kuwait being invaded, like, we gotta go, we gotta stop this, oh, no... That's pretty much like the one time that we could stop and say, maybe we were the good guys, maybe. But even then, that's really, mm, yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was killing his people in droves. But were we really the good guys there is a debate. But I think that's pretty much the closest one that we could have to being the good guys. We will not go down as the good guys in the history books because of this. We will try to spin it like, oh, Iran attacked these tankers. They blew up our drone. But these are all just things that, like, why did this all happen? Oh, because the U.S. left a trade deal or left a nuclear arms deal and then got mad 
whenever the nuclear arms deal wasn't upheld. If that doesn't just sound like the most asinine crap on planet Earth, I can't help you. And I know pretty much everybody here gets it. I'm pretty, yeah, see, if, like, uh, David says, I agree with you on pretty much all of it. Caleb says, don't know much about the topic, so I appreciate the stream. Um, you know, I mean, that's one reason why why I'm here is to educate, I guess. Not to say, again, that I'm like an expert, but just that I'm I share what I know. And so it's good that you guys are here for this. But at the same time, you know, there are a lot of people who are completely ignorant to what's going on, could watch this entire stream and then still say, no, nah, it was a bad deal. We had to leave it. And then then the the only thing that I can say is what is your grounds for like what for the, being mad when they stockpile LEUs? Well, they shouldn't have nuclear weapons. Oh, well, you should have had a deal that limited the amount of LEUs they could have. So, well, it was a bad deal. It's like, what do you, what do you want? Like, why weren't we at this level before? If, if you wanted them to have less LEUs than they do now, why weren't you mad before the deal was violated? Why didn't you say like, ah, man, you guys have way too many LEUs. We're going to have to start doing sanctions and then, then leave the deal. I guess at least then your intentions are clear, but now it just looks like you're picking an arbitrary point. You're throwing a dart at a dartboard and saying like, hmm, 0.35 or three, 3.5%. I mean, that's, that's way too high. It's like, why wasn't it high before? Was it only high after we left the deal? Like, was it, were the stipulations of the deal not good? And then suddenly now they matter and these, this, that's the line. Why not just stay in the deal? Like, none of it makes sense. Everyone's stupid. <laughs> and the only reason I get so upset about this is because it literally is people's lives that they are playing with. And so when you understand that on top of all of this, like none of this has to happen and it's people's lives that they're playing with, that's an issue, guys. That's a big problem. <laughs> oh, man. Governments suck, dude. Jesus. I feel so bad for all these kids if we get into this Iran war because it's going to look like we're going to look like jackasses. If it happens, I'm still holding out for the fact that it's not going to happen. I'm still holding out. I call it denial. Call it whatever you want, honestly. Um, I just I just don't want to see us going through that. I don't want to see us being tied up in another potentially decades-long Middle Eastern conflict where thousands, if not tens of thousands, and some possible projections of Americans are killed in a conflict with a country that basically doesn't matter when on the other side, when there's plenty of other people who do matter, not saying we should fight any of them, but maybe our energy could be pointed in those directions. And, you know, I've said this for a long time, even before I was a libertarian, but at some point we just got to leave the Middle East. And I mean, like, just pull chocks, like, stop selling oh yeah no Caleb you're 100% right not just Americans being killed either like the amount of Iranian deaths because if you I'm not going to go too much into like the military tactics theater side of it but you know I'm I, it's some of the stuff is interesting to me and if you look at how Iran is structured as far as population and military installations and stuff like that 
and and how the topography is, it's gonna just funnel all of this fighting through Tehran, and that's like a that's the densest population sector in Iran. So either a you evacuate all of them, it'd be like, I mean, it's not as big, but it would be like evacuating like Boston or something. Like okay, you know, some big city like that, and then using it as a giant fighting war zone and then blowing it all the hell. Like we've seen what that did to Syria. Syria was just like a bedrock for all sorts of crazy crap. I mean, that's how we got ISIS to begin with is because of the civil war in Syria. And they were like, yo, Syria is hard to take. Let's just go to Iraq in some empty desert and make a country. And that's what they did. Caleb said, uh, I'm just trying to live or, Imagine just trying to live your best life in this country that supposedly represents democracy and freedom is meddling in your elections and economy and bombs your friends. Yeah, I'd hate them too. I, you know, I had this conversation. Oh God, this was probably back in like December or February or no January on the, sh like when we first started the show and we had a guy who was in the chats and was like, Oh, you're like a terrorist sympathizer. And I was like, sort of, you know, like I don't sympathize with, terrorists blowing up and killing people but i can sympathize with this this situation that put them in it i can empathize at least if not sympathize you know one of the two um it's probably more empathy than sympathy honestly but you know like those kids that we were fighting with in syria probably didn't want to be fighting in that war but felt like they didn't have much of a choice so the country in power defines what a terrorist is. Yeah, and I say this all the time, too. The, the founding fathers were terrorists, and they tarred and feathered tax collectors, and, you know, not exactly the nicest people on planet Earth. I get that, but, yeah. So, mm. but that's my two cents. You know, I got a little riled up. I'm not going to lie. I got, a, I got a little bit riled up. <laughs> I don't have too much more to say on the topic. It's a, obviously it's a developing story. Um, the, you know, I think both sides are handling themselves like total children, but I completely understand why Iran is done. I completely get it. It's like, if you, if you guys have ever had a boss, that's just like a total jackass to you and you were going to quit anyways. And one day he just pops off on you and you just let him have it. You just let him have it. And then, you're out, you know, not, it's, it's a situation like that. <laughs> David says, get riled. I like it. I'm a passionate person. And when it comes to the lives of potentially hundreds of thousands of people, I get really passionate because God damn it, dude, these people are stupid. Like some of these people are stupid. And I get, this is normally when someone comes in with like, the, wow, you just don't understand the 4d chess. There was no 4d chess involved in leaving the Iran deal. Someone, one of his camp, one of his aides came up and said, "Like, hey, remember when you said you were going to leave that Iran nuclear deal? The House is talking about it right now, and you know they they're kind of wondering why you haven't done it yet." And he was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, uh, okay, let's get out of that. And uh, can I have a drink, please?" And then that was that was pretty much all the thought that went into that one. Um, I get it, I really do. The Iran nuclear arms deal sucked. Sure. Maybe it wasn't the greatest. I don't think it was that bad, first off, to begin with. I really don't think it was that bad. This whole the Iran trade deal sucks reeks of partisan politics and war hawks. I'm just saying that right now. 
the whole narrative that it sucks to begin with reeks reeks of partisan politics no real principle involved if that were the case you could just say like hey you know let's let's <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to the point now to where i'm just like repeating myself and i'm sorry but it's just it's so true Caleb says the government knows exactly what they're doing. The people who are blind to what's going on regarding the Fed and all these wars are idiots. Yeah, it's just, it's a, and, and there's an, also an argument, there's like a conspiracy theory. And normally I don't put these things out, but I found this one particularly entertaining. And it was basically that we're trying to spark a war with Iran because we know that a recession is right around the corner and we don't have the flexibility with federal interest rates to be able to drop interest rates enough to make a noticeable impact on economic recovery. So we would use a conflict in the Middle East to stimulate economic recovery. Ooh, four-dimensional chess. Technically speaking, that could work, potentially, um, but it's all artificial growth in, in the economy. Wars are artificially inflate a GDP based off of stolen income from a populace, which would be better spent freely in the markets determining what needs to succeed and fail so that's it's it's an artificial inflation it always dies with wars for a reason so and wars are not permanent boosts to economies governments run out of money they either have to start taking more money from the populace or they start going into debt or they start going into even worse deals with even worse contracts paying even more money so, you know, these are the kind of things that we're looking at. And, and each time they, they make a worse deal on a contract, the influence on the potential growth in GDP gets lower. So these are things to keep in mind as well. Caleb says, uh, if you're done with Iran, I say you talk about your favorite conspiracies. I don't have too many favorite conspiracies, to be honest with you. Caleb says, it could work, but we shouldn't have to do it. And there's better ways to stimulate an economy rather than an unnecessary war. Do you see the Fed going to negative interest rates? No, I don't see the Fed going to negative interest rates. They'll let everything burn around them before they go to negative interest rates. Because you have to remember that the Federal Reserve is not, it doesn't, like, it knows economies will recover. The U.S. is not going to die, right, from whatever recession. We could go into another Great Depression. We're not going to die, right? So all they want is their bottom dollar. Um the Federal Reserve will going into a negative interest rate. The idea of that completely just breaks the idea of a, of a debt-based economy. Um, it creates a. I mean, you want to talk about a good way to spark some hyperinflation. If they don't, if they decided to go with that policy, that's one hell of a way to spark some hyperinflation. Because when everybody can get some extremely low interest debt which is what you need in theory to get a rapid increase in economic uh, recovery. That sounds like a lot of people who shouldn't be getting into a lot of debt, getting into a lot of debt. So I'm <laughs> just throwing that out there. We could be potentially setting ourselves up for another bubble by doing something like that as well. And then you increase interest rates, right? How many of these ultra low deals are going to be on variable interest rate plans? Because every time we go into a crash, they do these variable interest rate plans. Cause you know, it's like, Oh, we'll tie our interest rate directly to the fed. And now banks are not going to pay you back, but they'll say, let's say it goes into the negative somehow. 
they'll they'll say, oh, it's at zero because the Fed's paying out a negative interest rate on on loans that we take out from them, and we've been taking out a crap ton. So it's zero right now for you, and then it's a variable interest rate, so they start to increase it, and it's at 0.5, and it's like, oh, you're paying 0.7 now, and then they come back up to the whatever it is now, and you're paying however much percent they deem viable because variable interest rate plans are usually based on an on a geometric scale so if you you are initially paying like pennies on the dollar pretty much and then it'll increase to 10 15 percent of whatever you're trying to pay off and you're dead so <laughs> you've been buried alive in debt um celeste says birds are real i completely agree um, the birds were following me in Japan. The exact same birds in Korea and in the U.S. were following me in Japan. Likely story, America. Likely story. What's another cool conspiracy theory? Um, I mean, I'm, you know, shrubbery did two buildings. You know, there's that one. Um, that's a fun one. That always gets people riled up. Uh, there's the conspiracy theory about, I just think the Bermuda Triangle is weird. I don't think there's really a conspiracy theory. I don't know what's up. Completely ignorant to that. I just think it's weird how everybody disappears there and how there's like an unnaturally large amount of disappearances. Now there's a couple like actual explanations for that, even though I just said I'm pretty much ignorant to it of how like the currents work and yeah oh yeah um erect structure seven that's weird too that's extremely weird good lord um i i don't even like thinking about that first off um i'm trying to think if there's anything else sorry you guys kind of caught me on the spot i wasn't expecting to talk conspiracy theories today um oh i like the conspiracy theory that someone already developed an ai and that it's like learning by watching us and that's what's building up a lot of our like in the US and that's what's building up our like surveillance and infrastructure networks or infrastructure of surveillance networks. Kind of like, do you ever see that really bad movie Eagle Eye where it was like able to like track down criminals and stuff like that? Kind of something like that. There's, there's some, it's not really like a bunch of evidence. It's just more of like a ooh kind of thing. But there's been some interesting coincidences in law enforcement and such that on the national level as well, that it's it seems like it could be possible that there's some kind of either AI or there is some sort of something, some supercomputer somewhere or something like that that is facilitating this, uh, these interesting coincidences. So you can't change my mind about Building 7. Yep. I mean, it's obviously a paper fire, dude. Obviously. Caleb says Elon Musk said there's a pretty good chance we're living in a simulation. Yeah, I watched his I mean, I've watched a couple of his things on that. You can't disprove the idea that we're living in a simulation if your assertion is, oh, we're living in a perfect simulation. And it's uh, you know, at that point it's like how well how would you tell if it's a perfect simulation? You couldn't. We could all be fake. Like deep down, the things that make up quarks and gluons is actually ones and zeros. I don't know if you knew this or not. We live in a simulation, so I don't particularly believe any of these things in the fullest conspiratorial sense. I just think they're fun. Um, typically, and lately, I've been taking putting less time into conspiracy theories. Um, 
less time into conspiracy theories and more more time into real things. Oh, I guess I'd just uh, go ahead and, and talk about this now. The 30th and the 31st. So of July we're not we're not going to do a Thursday show on the 1st of August that that week we're going to do Sunday show or Saturday show for you guys the 27th and then we're going to be doing the 30th and the 31st so it'll be Tuesday and Wednesday for you guys I will be covering the debates this round uh, I'm going to see if I can get on LMCG probably not going to happen but if not we'll broadcast here and share it to all the pages so yeah i'll be doing live coverage of the debates should be lots of fun um i already talked it out with the people involved so oh david drank coffee out of my elon musk smoking mug that's fun actually david's on minecraft right now he's he's playing on the minecraft lln server and i hopped on there for fun and it's just to check it out because you know minecraft whenever i was in like junior high was when it started getting big and that was a long time ago and uh so you know i hopped back on just to see like what what's up with minecraft and next thing you know i built this giant house so call me a nerd but i guess i'm playing minecraft now so we've got our own little ancapistan in minecraft and uh it's pretty fun i'm not gonna lie they added a lot of cool stuff and a lot of fun so yeah, you know what, I, I just wanted, really the only thing I wanted to talk about today was Iran. We're going to go ahead and wrap up here. I appreciate having you guys out here. I hope you guys learned something. Um, I love talking, so, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed talking about it. Um, don't forget, if you like the show, to like the Facebook page and join the community group. That's where I keep people the most up to date is on the Facebook page in the community group. We have a Twitter. It's Christian underscore M underscore LAD for Liberty after dark. So I, it's kind of like my personal and my page Twitter in one, because I guess I am the personality of Liberty after dark. So I don't know. I, it was the only thing I had available to me that made anything even remotely close to sense. So we went with it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm going to try this episode went pretty smoothly, so it shouldn't take me very long to edit it. So this should be up in the podcast variety. And then if you guys like podcasts, you want to re-listen to this, see if you missed anything in the beginning or something like that, you can go listen to it there. Um, we have an iTunes, we have a Stitcher, we have an uh, uh, Spotify, we have iHeartRadio, we have all of those things, Google Play. Um, we have an email at contact at libertyafterdark.net, a website, libertyafterdark.net. And we have a bunch of amazing fans like you guys who appreciate the show through Patreon. So if you guys wouldn't mind throwing me a dollar or two over there, I appreciate it. Every dollar helps uh, to supplement some of the time and money that I spend on the show. So, um, yeah, that's all I've got for you guys. Unless anybody else has anything else, I'll give you 30 seconds to say your peas before I peace out. Good show. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it, David. Very glad you enjoyed it. Um, come out for the other ones. Saturday shows are typically a little bit longer. We usually go till about two hours long. I have more to talk about. This show, yeah, about an hour, hour and a half usually. So, because especially since I have work later in the afternoon. So, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to get out of here. Y'all take it easy. Have a fantastic rest of your lives if I never see you again. But hopefully I'll see you again this Saturday, 9 p.m. Take it easy, guys.